These believers at Corinth were being selfish, they were being divided, and Paul says, this isn't good. This isn't good at all. The Lord would want you to come together with a common heart desiring to serve one another, to build each other up. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. Now I'm given these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Verse 21, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. When you go back to the book of Acts, in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, after the day of Pentecost, when the church continued to grow and the gospel was spreading throughout Jerusalem there, in the early days of the church, you read that the early Christians would gather together, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so ever since the beginning of the church, it was customary for the believers to gather together to eat. We still have those customs today. I mean, many times in the church we gather together to eat. We have different things like barbecues and we have dessert nights and things like that. Well, it was the same in the early church. And here, as we continue in 1 Corinthians In verse 17, it talks about how the believers here at Corinth would come together. And here is, as Paul writes, that coming together as a church, as a body, is not primarily uh, talking about a morning service like what we're having here this morning. But I believe that what Paul is referring to here, and we're going to see it's going to be quite obvious, that when they would gather, they would gather for what was called the uh, agape feast, a love feast. And We see in Jude's short epistle that he would refer to these agape feasts, to these love feasts. And so here were the believers at Corinth. They were gathered to share a meal. And it was to be a beautiful time of fellowship. Today, as I mentioned to you, we may call it a potluck. We may call it a barbecue. We call it whatever it may be. But usually we will gather together a lot of times. Sometimes the ladies will have a ladies' breakfast where they bring things to share, a potluck where we share things. And just like us, we do those things, bringing a dish to share, to bless one another, to be able to eat together, to have fellowship with one another. And the early Christians did the same thing, having a common meal which they were to share all together, eating together. But now we see that Paul, once again, is having to address them about problems that were occurring when they were gathering together to eat at these agape feasts. 
And what they would do following the eating of a meal together, then they would observe the Lord's Supper, or that is communion. So for them to gather for these feasts, these potlucks, agape feasts, as Jude calls it again, and what is referred to, it was very proper. It, it was very beautiful thing for them to do. It was to stress the importance of fellowship and affection. It was mutual caring amongst the believer. And at the end of the potluck meals, the believers, as I mentioned to you, would then close with the observance of communion. There are churches today that still observe that, that model. Matter of fact, uh, Pastor Paul down at Calvary Chapel Brighton, I know in their midweek service they do on Thursday nights, that they have people come and they do a potluck, and then after they're finished eating, they will have communion, and then they have the service. And so that's what was taking place here at, um, at Corinth at this time. And so you recall that last week, when we started chapter 11 here, that Paul in verse 2 of the chapter had penned uh, that he praised them for holding firmly to the doctrines that he had taught them. But when we began to read here in verse 17, he says, I do not praise you. Matter of fact, when you come together, it's not for the better, but it's for the worse. And that's quite an indictment on these believers. And what my prayer and what my hope is for us here at Calvary Chapel, that when we gather as believers, whether it's for a potluck or a dessert night or whatever reason it might be, Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings or when the men gather Tuesday for men's study, whatever it might be, I pray that it would always, always be for the better. To come together, to edify each other, to pray for each other, to to lift each other up, to study God's word and to worship, all in the environment of love. And these believers that Paul had been addressing were, were blowing it, even with something so simple as the sharing of a meal and then partaking of communion. And Paul says essentially that it would have been better if they had not gotten together. And again, what my hope and my prayer is that that would never be said of us. And what would be said that as we gather here, whatever it might be, that we would always bring glory and honor to the Lord, that we would have in mind that we are to encourage and build up the saints. And Paul says, you saints, you believers there in Corinth, I can't praise you on this matter. And then Paul will tell them why. Their fellowship was not a time of loving. Their fellowship and coming together was not a time of enrichment and blessing, but rather they were involved in selfish indulgence and shaming of the poorer brethren and, and making the Lord's sacrificial death and taking of it in, in a way that was wrong. And in doing that, they were scandalizing the church before the unbelieving world around them. And so Paul, with concern, and Paul in love, addresses once again problems that were occurring in the Corinthian church. And he says that when you gather, verse 18, there are divisions among you. Now, when we first started this epistle, clear back in chapter 1, we know that 1 Corinthians is a corrective letter, isn't it? And the very first thing that Paul addresses in this letter, back in chapter 1, of the problems that were going on, was the fact that there was divisions that were among the Christians. You remember that. He talked about it all the way through chapter 3. And their divisions were based on loyalties to a certain man. That is, centering around a certain spiritual leader. As some were coming and saying, well, 
we're of Paul, and they would separate from this group that was saying, well, we're of Apollos, and then this group was over here separating themselves, saying that we're of Cephas. And rather than having their unity based on the Lord Jesus Christ, there was divisions in those ways and where they were centering around a man. But Paul here, as he talks about that you believers have division, he's not talking in that way particularly, but what he's talking about, divisions that were taking place socially. That is, what was meant to be a very beautiful and wonderful time of fellowship and sharing turned out to be a time of division and dissension. And the word dissension there in verse 18 means a tearing apart or a cutting is what it was. So it was like, you can imagine what it was like, the believers would get together and they would kind of rip on each other. And they were quarreling and they were fighting and they were bickering. They didn't agree on anything, nor did they seek to serve each other. And instead of sharing together in love, they spent their time arguing and spent time disputing, and it brought factions and it brought division among them. And I think that it's sad that when I talk to people, and perhaps you talk to them as well, that are not in fellowship, they've stopped going to church. And sometimes when the Lord gives us an opportunity to ask them, why aren't you in fellowship? Why aren't you going to church? And I've had people say this, and I know perhaps you have as well, say, well, I don't go to church anymore. I, didn't, I don't go to the church I was going to because all the people did was there was fighting and there was divisions and there was quarreling and they couldn't agree on anything, so I stopped going, and it ought not to be. And so Paul says, in part, I believe this is going on. In other words, when he says that, he's saying that, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me that this is taking place here in the church of Corinth because I know you guys and I know your character. And he knew that they were a church that struggled with carnality and selfishness and pride and they were a worldly church. And Paul in chapter 3, he said, Brethren, I can't talk to you as to spiritual, as mature, but as to those who are carnal. As to those who are in the flesh, they were walking in the flesh rather than in the spirit. And thus they were following their own wills rather than the Lord's will. And one of the most fearful things that can happen in the church is division. And I'll tell you why. Because the work of God stops. Whenever in a church, in a body of believers, that there's factions and division and quarreling that's going on, the work of God stops. And then secondly, it's a sign of spiritual sickness. And I pray constantly, all the time, and I hope you do as well, that there would never be division like that amongst the believers here to where there would be a ripping on each other, a tearing each other apart and tearing each other down. That our flesh would be so crucified that as people see us and as they hear about us, that there would be characterize we would as ones who are in love with the Lord we take on the command that we're to love one another if we were asked it's by those people that are no longer in fellowship well what about your church what about at Calvary Chapel is there divisions is there disputing and arguing going on that we would say no there isn't but what is there is God's love and what is there is people that, that care and, and who is there is, is those who desire to reach out to others. 
that we would take on the command that's given to us in the book of Philippians chapter 1. As Paul writes, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Again, verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1. So these believers at Corinth were being selfish, they were being divided, and Paul says, this isn't good. This isn't good at all. The Lord would want you to come together with a common heart desiring to serve one another, to build each other up. And then the second problem that was going on with the believers at Corinth is that there was insensitivity. I mean, check out the scene there in verse 21. As the people were gathering for these potlucks, these agape feasts, they were to share their food generously and lovingly. But what was happening is that there were some that would bring their food and they weren't sharing it. Some would bring all their food and they would go off into a little corner with their group or their family or whatever it might be and they would scarf down all their food and they're not sharing it at all with others. And so there they would be as they came with their bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken and and. And instead of putting it to where others could share of it, they would go off and they would eat it. And there would be those, particularly the poor, that Paul says, who perhaps couldn't bring much, who didn't have much, and they would be left out. So they were going hungry. Now that's a problem. You know that this is a messed up church when they can't even do a potluck right. (laughs) And there are those who are going hungry at a potluck. So here he's having to address this, and he's saying this is not good, guys, at all. And they were doing it all because there was no unity. Now, again, remember that in this culture, and it is true somewhat today with us as well, that eating together was a sign of what oneness. It was a sign of commonness. And instead of caring for one another and sharing with one another, they were excluding one another. And then there were some that were there, and they were getting drunk. And they were mocking the very purpose of the occasion of the gathering of the saints together in unity. And so Paul says, if that is what you do, if you selfishly want to indulge yourself in stuffing your face and not sharing your food and drinking, then do it at home. And if you cannot show love, then don't have these love feasts. And so as we look at the text here, the church was once again hurting the cause of Christ rather than helping it. And so Paul writes here, I cannot praise you on this. I'm not happy with you at this point. And then the third problem that Paul addresses now deals with the result of the first and second problem that we just discussed. And that is at these agape feasts, when they would wind down, they would have communion. And they were coming to the communion table divided. Again, with dissension. Some of them were coming They had been drinking, they were drunk, and they were partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And so now Paul shares with them how their conduct should be at the Lord's table, verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Now, commentators and Bible scholars are kind of divided and, and debate and discuss on exactly what Paul means by this. That is, as we read this, he says, I've received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. He's saying, I didn't just make this up. 
I didn't receive it from man. I, I received it from the Lord. Now the debate is, how did Paul exactly receive this? Some say that Paul received this by revelation. Others believe that he received this from Luke's writings, because when you go to Luke's Gospels, the words that he quotes here are found there in his Gospels. So they're very similar. I personally believe that Paul received this directly from the Lord himself. Because we see in the Galatian epistle that he tells us that he did not learn what he knew of Christ from any man. No man taught it to him. So, matter of fact, I think at this time that he's writing this letter that the Gospel of Luke would not be available to him. But be that as it may, Paul did receive this from the Lord. But before we leave this, I think this is a very important principle here that will help us in our ministry to others. And I know that I've shared this truth, and we've, I've shared this principle with you before, but I will not be negligent of reminding you of these things so you and I can be established in these things. And this is very important that I hope that we never forget. And it's simply this, that Paul shared with them what the Lord showed him and taught him. And if we want to be effective in ministering and sharing and, and teaching others, dads, whether it's to your kids or to your spouse, whether it's the people that live next to you or work alongside of you, whoever it might be, those that you're discipling and ministering to, you need to remember this, that you will not be able to share with them if you are not receiving from the Lord. And the order that God works is this, that he will share with you as you seek him, as you search out the word, as you're taking in the word, and the things that he shows you through the word and the working of the spirit in your life, then you will be able to share with others what has been delivered unto you by the Lord. But here's the thing, if you are not in the word, you're not in prayer, you're not going to the Lord, you're not seeking the things of the Lord, then you are not going to have a lot to share with others. We see this in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 32, after Moses was there on the mountain receiving from the Lord the law, receiving the, the instructions for the tabernacle, he had received so much from the Lord, but yet the people were sinning down below. And so Moses went down and he dealt with all of that. And, and we see that as we go through the book of Exodus. And then after that incident, after they sinned and making that golden calf, and, and the Lord did not destroy his people, he would say to Moses, Moses, now therefore, go ahead and lead the people. Go lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Lead them to the place which I have spoken to you, Moses. And Moses was able to lead the people of God because he had heard from the Lord. So fathers, mothers, parents, grandparents, whoever you may be, you who are working with others, you who are desiring to minister to others, if you want to, dads, lead your families. If you want to minister to others in discipling them, in the things of the Lord, then you need to be hearing from the Lord. And what he has showed you, then you can teach others 
And as you spend time with him and receive from him, then you're going to be able to share that with others. Does that make sense? And you see, in a lot of ways, that's not taking place. So an honest evaluation for all of us this morning, including myself. We can go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know what? Am I lacking in this area and being able to minister to others? Because really, I'm not hearing from you. And if you're not hearing from the Lord, you're not going to be effective in ministering that to others. That's why I stress upon you the importance of having devotions and continuing in the Word of God and being sensitive to the leading of the Lord. And then as you are taking those things in, I'm able to share that with my kids. I'm able to share that with my other family members. I'm able to share that with you. And that's one of the principles that the Lord has shown me over and over and over again that he doesn't want me to forget, and I don't think he wants you to forget that as either. You keep in the word of God. You keep hearing the voice of the Lord as you go to him because he desires to speak to you. And be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. And as you're taking in those things and growing in the things of God, you're going to be able to share with others some very wonderful things, and you are going to be leading others as the Lord begins to minister to you you will receive from him, and then you will be able to share and lead others. So Paul continues again in verse 23. He said that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broken and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So these are familiar words to us, aren't they? We are to partake of the Lord's Supper, often called the Eucharist, which means given thanks. And indeed, as we come to the Lord's table, as we partake of the bread and the cup, we are thankful. We remember the work that Christ did for us in going to the cross of Calvary, dying for our sins. Because everything that we have and everything that we are as Christians is centered on Jesus Christ and him crucified, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul, in the beginning of this letter, said, I came determined not to preach anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the fact that after his death on Calvary's cross for you and for me, he was put into that grave, that tomb, and he rose again after three days, validating what he did for you and me on Calvary's cross. And on that night that he was betrayed, there in that upper room in Jerusalem, he was eating of the Passover meal with his disciples. And we read in the Gospels that hours before his arrest, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he instructed Peter and John to go and prepare the Passover meal. And the Passover feast, as we know, was a yearly event in Jerusalem which commemorated the delivery of God's people from Egypt. We read about that in the book of Exodus. And, of course, the feast of Passover being fulfilled in the death of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. We saw that Paul mentioned that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You recall that he wrote that Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So Jesus, in that upper room, he institutes what we call the Lord's Supper with his disciples. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Interesting, he did not say in remembrance of me, have a party, have a parade, make a monument, but rather come to the table. Come to the table and take of the bread. This is my body broken for you. 
And in the taking of the bread, we remember the sufferings that the Lord went through for us, for you, for me. His body broken. Now, none of his bones were broken, as we know from scriptures, but he went through that scourging from the Romans. He went through the beatings that he took, that the religious council, as he stood before them, they would beat him, and same with the Romans. We know that they put a crown of thorns around his head and beat it on his, his scalp as we see that his body was broken in that way for you and for me personally. You see, the Passover meal included the unleavened bread made without yeast. And we've talked about this before because yeast, that leaven in the scripture is a picture of sin and corruption. And yeast would be, of course, put into the bread and it would then work as it would spread throughout that loaf, expand. And in their haste to leave Egypt, back in the book of Exodus, the Israelites, they had no time to put that yeast in their bread for it to rise. So after Passover, God said, you're going to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.